Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Today is Epiphany Sunday, the final day of the Christmas season, a time to continue to reflect on just what happened in the manger. First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw compares and contrasts the behavior of the Magi and the scribes in this sermon called Follow the Star. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. You know, I think I've had it wrong my whole life. I thought Christmas was over on Christmas morning. Not true. Christmas Day is just the beginning of an almost two-week celebration of the greatest gift ever given to the world. Today is Epiphany Sunday, which is the real end of the Christmas season, uh, at least according to the Christian calendar. You know, at the beginning of the year, it can, um, things can seem a little lonely or a little dreary. Uh, friends and family may have flown back home. Christmas trees have been all taken down, except for this one, thanks to Shelley Germain. Uh, the lights have been packed away, except these. Uh, and the wrapping paper put in the recycle bin. Kids have played with their new toys until they don't seem so new anymore. And the new year has come and gone. There's pretty good chance that some of us might have already broken a New Year's resolution or two. But Epiphany Sunday is the day when we remember the arrival of the Magi, the kings from the east who followed a mysterious star that led them to Bethlehem and to the child Jesus. No matter how many kings there actually were, you know, Hallmark has sort of led us astray on this. It's not necessarily three. It could have been ten. could have been a lot of them. just had three gifts. How many, no matter how many there were, it was a long journey that they were on. They probably traveled maybe as far as 500 miles or more. You know, one of the quickest forms of transportation in their day was by camel. I've ridden a camel. This is me shooting this video from last summer in the Jordan Desert with uh, friends who went to uh, Jordan and Israel together. So I've been on a camel. There's no way I would want to ride on a camel for 500 miles. I love this little kid here who's got the lead tied around his head, uh, guiding us through the desert. When the Magi stopped in Jerusalem to get directions, they heard the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Christians call that the Old Testament. Specifically, they heard the prophecies from the book of Micah. The fifth chapter of that book says this. But you... O Bethlehem of Rathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. That was the navigation information they were looking for and needed. Um, Bethlehem was their destination. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the scriptures say that after the Magi met with Herod, the star that the Magi had seen when it rose, when it went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Amazing. When the wise men arrive in Bethlehem, uh, the Magi fell on their faces and worshipped the child Jesus. They didn't do that when they saw King Herod. But here in the presence of Jesus, they seem to realize that they're in the presence of something very special. 
you know, recognizing Jesus as the king of kings is the ultimate realization that any of us can have. And if you have realized who Jesus is, that in him God has come to earth to save us, it is a life-changing epiphany. An epiphany is a sudden insight into the true nature of something. When you've been looking at something for a long time and suddenly you realize that it's actually something very special, much more meaningful than you ever really recognized. When you have that experience, you've had an epiphany. You've uncovered something that was there all the time but was hiding, in a sense, just below the surface. You can have an epiphany about your spouse, about one of your children, or about a friend, or about your work, or about your church. You can suddenly realize that there's something remarkable in each of these things, or these people in your life. You may have heard the Christmas story again and again and again and again, but then suddenly your eyes are opened, and you see, almost with the eyes of a child, who Jesus really is. We're continuing our sermon series today through the gospel according to Mark that we've called Hope Restored. In today's passage, we're going to see a startling contrast between the Magi and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The Magi and the scribes, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, were focused on different stars. The Magi and the scribes is what we're going to look at as a contrast between uh, the two. Uh, The Magi followed a star that led them to Jesus, and they discovered who he actually was. And when they did, they humbled themselves uh, before Jesus. The scribes were more concerned about being stars. And what makes this so remarkable is that the Magi weren't people who knew much about the God of Israel. And the scribes claimed to be the interpreters of God to the Israelites, to their own people, but really didn't know God at all. Jesus is going to painfully point out how much the religious leaders of his day had to learn about the God that they claimed to worship. Let's pray together. God, we do pray that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would guide us and lead us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Mark chapter 12, verse 37. And the large crowd was listening to Jesus with delight. And Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The crowd loved what Jesus was saying. He was talking to these stuff-shirted scribes. In the passage, Jesus challenges the scribes about a few things he'd noticed about many of them. First, some of them were apparently clothes horses. They like to walk around in flowing robes. Scribes liked these robes because they, um, only the most notable people in the community wore these robes. If you wanted to end up on the cover of Scribe magazine, you'd probably have to 
dress up like this. These robes are not functional at all. Um, you couldn't do any work in them, and you couldn't be in a hurry. But it seems that many of the scribes weren't interested in either one of those things, doing work or being in a hurry. It was all about what the robes signified. The Jews wore tassels at the end of their garments in obedience to Scripture. It reminded them that they belonged to God. We sold or gave away many of these tassels earlier this year. They're a wonderful reminder of belonging to God. But Jesus said in Matthew 23 that some of these religious leaders wore jumbo tassels as a way of drawing more attention to themselves. They wanted everyone to remember that they were the super special part of the Jewish community. I am not a clothes horse by any stretch of the imagination. A couple of years ago, I was asked by a couple from the Bay Area to officiate at a ceremony where they would reaffirm their marriage vows. I think they've been married for about 38 years. They're going to be in Hawaii, and they wanted to have this very small but special ceremony to reaffirm their marriage. And we were going to do that on the grass outside the Kahala Resort. The night before the ceremony, I asked the husband what he wanted me to wear. I'm going to call him Mike. I told Mike what I could wear. I could wear a suit. I could wear aloha wear. And he texted me back a picture of what he was going to wear. And it was a picture of him in shorts and an aloha shirt. I told him, I think I can do that. So it was a very moving ceremony to watch these two reaffirm their, their vows. And after I prayed a prayer of blessing on the beach, we headed inside the resort. Started to get worried when we didn't go to the outside restaurant, but headed upstairs to Hoku's. I have never been to Hoku's at the Kahala. And as we walked up to the hostess, she took one look at Mike and me and graciously said, you can't come in here dressed like that. And Mike immediately said, no problem. I can go up to my room and I'll get on long pants. I said, it's going to take me two hours to get big boy pants on. Um, And then the hostess said something, that I a sentence I'd never heard before in my life. She said, no worries, you're in luck. We have emergency pants available. (laughs) I have never heard that sentence before. And she disappeared behind the counter and came out with a couple of possible pairs of long pants. Problem solved. And we had a very nice dinner together. I should have known better that we were probably going to end up in a restaurant inside the Kahala and that shorts were not going to cut it. But it didn't occur to me because I'm definitely not a clothes horse. So Jesus' first objection with some of the scribes was don't try to impress people by the way you dress. Don't be a clothes horse. Some of you might be already offended by this sermon. Sorry about that. So here's Jesus' next objection. Some of the scribes really like to be greeted by the people in the marketplace in a certain way. They demanded respect uh, by the people and insisted on being called rabbi or teacher. And rabbi literally means my great one. The scribes wanted people to address them like that. It would be a way for the people to remember who were the really, truly great people and important people in the community. 
When I first came to Hawaii, I was kind of taken aback when people would address me as Pastor Tim. No one in California ever called me Pastor Tim. It was just, hey, Tim. It took me a little while to learn to really receive that greeting as a way of people really wanting to show honor and respect. Um, To be honest, it's humbling to be called Pastor Tim. I suppose you could use my entire list of titles if you saw me at Safeway, like the Reverend Dr. Timothy Shaw when you saw me in the bread aisle, but I think it would be sort of awkward. (laughs) For the scribes, they were eager to be addressed as rabbi because it was for some a way to feed their vanity and establish their power over others. The scribes also liked to uh, sit in uh, the good seats at the synagogue. Right in front of the ark, the, the storage closet where the Torah was kept in the synagogue, there was a bench, and guess who liked to sit in those seats? The scribes loved sitting in those prominent places where everybody could see them. A long time ago at the First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley, where I worked before I came to Hawaii, we used to sit up front in four big chairs facing the congregation. I quickly discovered that if you're going to sit up front facing the congregation, you have to be on your best behavior the whole time. There's no checking fantasy football scores during the sermon. To be honest, I perfected the ability to yawn with my mouth closed. It was never during a sermon by one of our pastors, but guest speakers, maybe occasionally. I actually remember the morning that a soprano fell out of the choir loft at my feet during the opening hymn. There's this modesty rail that was right there at the, behind us, and a door beside each of those big sets of chairs. And while we were singing the opening hymn, suddenly one of the doors flew open, and a soprano was right at my feet out of the choir. And to my surprise, uh, I was glad she was, and I wasn't hurt, she was a little embarrassed, and to my surprise, was actually able to maintain a pastoral demeanor as I helped her to her feet, and we continued to sing that first hymn. But in general, sitting up in front of the congregation is not a good place for me to be. But the scribes love sitting up front in that place of prominence. I'm super thankful that in Berkeley, when we decided to sit among the congregation like we do here, that's a much better place for me to be. At big banquets, many of the scribes jockeyed for position, hoping to get seats closest to the host of the dinner. The closer you were to that person, the more important you were. You could have a pretty good idea of where you fit in the social hierarchy of the community, depending on the table number on your name card. So that's Jesus' opening critique of some of the scribes, and he's just warming up. And the crowd apparently loved this. For me, all of those charges are really sort of eye-rolling charges. I don't care about being seated next to the host or unless you're the funnest person at the party. Uh, I'm obviously not a closed horse. I certainly should not be sitting up front facing the congregation under any circumstances. But Jesus is just getting started. And what a contrast it is between the way uh, the Magi viewed the world and the worldview of some of the scribes. The Magi fell on their faces before Jesus when they came to Bethlehem. But the scribes do not recognize who Jesus is. They have not had their epiphany. They remain blinded, possibly by their own pride and their obsession with the power that they are eager to use to control other people. And now Jesus turns up the heat. He makes his most challenging charges against the scribes. 
He says that some of them actually have devoured the lifestyle, the life savings of, of widows in order to finance their opulent, privileged lifestyles. And Jesus' day, an expert in the law could not take money for his teaching. He was supposed to work at a trade um, to take care of his daily needs. But apparently, the experts in the law had been able to convince some people that they needed to support their lifestyles. The historian Josephus uh, said that some religious leaders taught that if you supported a teacher of the law, it just might ensure a better place in heaven in the life to come. There's always been and there always will be religious charlatans who will prey on vulnerable people. Some of the scribes were people who even exploited vulnerable women whose husbands had died. The death of a spouse was put a woman in a very precarious place in the first century, and apparently some of these religious leaders exploited them. Finally, Jesus has one more observation he wants to make about some of these men. Keep in mind, this is coming from the God of the universe who is incarnate in, in Jesus Christ. He says, the prayers that these men have offered were not really about connecting with God. They were more crafted in order to impress others. They prayed so others would be in awe of how pious they must be. There's always a temptation um, for someone in a position like mine to try to impress and dazzle you when my priority task is not to point you to me, but to point you to Jesus. This is one of Jesus' most confrontational moments with the scribes. When I was ordained as a pastor in California, I was given a robe, which does not indicate my piety or my purity. In the Presbyterian Church, this robe is an academic robe. That it just acknowledges that I have achieved some sort of um, academic standing. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Mary. And I was also given this, a stole like this, that was worn like this. And this stole doesn't point to piety. It's supposed to be a towel. It reminds me of a towel that Jesus washed his disciples' feet with. It's to remind me that I am to be your servant as I seek to serve Jesus Christ. So two ways of living that's been set before us this morning. Will we follow the Magi to our knees and worship the King of Kings? And will we follow the way of Jesus who gave his life in service to others? Or will we follow the scribes who are more interested in being stars, who live to impress others and exert coercive power over them? Whatever place you find yourself in today, whether a father or mother, boss or employee, mayor or president, pastor or elder, military officer or enlisted person, I want to invite us to follow the star that led the Magi to humble themselves before Jesus. We are not called to put ourselves first or to seek the place of prominence and power because as Jesus warned us, the first will be last. We are not called to exert power over others, to seek a place of privilege at the expense of others. We are called to come to the manger and see the all-powerful one who descended to us and was born a vulnerable child in a poor family who became a refugee 
fleeing from the threats of the powerful. That is the epiphany that I think we need today. We need to see that if we are followers of Jesus, we serve a God who has redefined power. Power is not given to manipulate and control others, but power is given in order to empower and to serve others. Is there a place in your life where the Lord might be asking you to be more humble? Maybe he's encouraged you to not be so worried about what other people think about you. It might just be that he wants you to settle down into this unchangeable truth that you are a daughter or son of the king of kings and you don't need the roar of the crowd or the approval of others. Listen to how valuable you are to God. I want you to receive again this message of his love for you as you consider this remarkable quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian. This is what God has done for us. The child in the manger is none other than God himself. Nothing greater can be said. God became a child. In the Jesus child of Mary lives the almighty God. Wait a minute. Don't speak. Stop thinking. Stand still before this statement. God became a child. Here he is, poor like us, miserable and helpless like us, a person of flesh and blood like us, our brother. And yet he is God. He is might. Where is the divinity? Where is the might of the child? In the divine love in which he became like us. His poverty in the manger is his might. In the might of love, he overcomes the chasm between God and humankind. He overcomes sin and death. He forgives sin and awakens from the dead. Kneel down before this miserable manger, before this child of poor people, and repeat in faith the stammering words of the prophet, Mighty God. The Christmas season may be ending today on Epiphany Sunday. The lights are being packed away. The presents have been given and received. But maybe there's one more gift that you might be able to open today, the gift that this table points to. Can you see in your mind's eye the gift of God coming to earth in the child Jesus to give his life that you and I might be forgiven and have everlasting life. The God we meet in that miserable manger is our servant king, and he wants to empower us to live lives that increasingly, more and more, look like his. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your presence, your commitment to complete the work that you've begun in us and among us. God, we come confessing our need for your healing and transformation. So God, we do pray that you would pour out your spirit as we come to receive these tangible signs of your love. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand? Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that you're a God of mercy and compassion and grace. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, deepen us 
uh, even further to into your love. We pray that we would grow in intimacy with you this year, that we might follow closely after you. Thank you for the fact we come confessing our sins and our need for you, and we're thankful that you are God who comes all the way to us. So thank you, Father, for your mercy and grace. We pray in Jesus' name, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, members of our prayer team would be happy to talk with you and to pray. So I encourage you to come forward with whatever need you might have. Now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Before we're too quick to dismiss the scribes, it would be a good idea to examine ourselves first and root out bad habits similar to theirs. Then follow the example of the Magi as they follow Jesus. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prayers website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook too. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.